This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on Interlinks, we will be talking to Brian McGill, Managing Director at McGill Training Limited. Brian is a development specialist, accredited mediator and program facilitator who specializes in the dialectic or Socratic method with over 27 years of experience. His firm, McGill Training Limited, is a boutique training and development consultancy based in Dublin, Ireland. And what's unique about Brian's approach to his work is that it is founded on the conviction that human development is a philosophical enterprise. And as he says, the Socratic method respects the inbuilt capacity of each individual to overcome their limits by means of their own intellect, thus helping them to become more fearless and self-directing. So delighted to have you here with us today, Brian. You're very welcome. Thanks very much, Patrick. Thank you. It's good to be here. So uh, to kick off, could you give us a quick overview of your career and how you came to be running a boutique training firm based on the principles of classical philosophy? Well, it's been a most unorthodox um, pathway or passage, if you like. And um, I was talking to a lady the other day whose daughter was studying psychology. And she asked me, would I speak to her and give her a rundown on how to end up working in industry, having studied psychology. So she was a bit at sea when I told her how I got there. But um, the long, the short story is I was uh, managing the sales department of an insurance company about 35 years ago. And I saw a great deal of money spent on training and development work that really um, was very questionable, to say the least. And at the same time as working in for many years, for nearly 40 years at this stage, I've always had this um, keen interest in philosophy. And it's been a, a love a study permanently for the last 40 years. As long as, as far back as I can remember, I have read and studied Plato and the works of Plato and studied Eastern philosophy for, I, I don't remember a time when I wasn't studying it. So in a way, how this company evolved was really working in industry uh, on one hand with a very deep love of philosophy on the other and seeing, if you like, in a very practical way, how one could help the other, how philosophy and what's in philosophy could help people in industry. That's really where it came from. And uh, that kind of leads me on to my to my next question, which is, what is uh, the Socratic method and how do the teachings of a 2,400 year old Greek philosopher mm. have relevance in the cut and thrust of today's corporate world? Okay. Well, firstly, yeah, you've got the dates right. So Socrates, you're talking two and a half thousand years ago, approximately. What's fascinating about reading Plato is that no matter what you read in Plato, um, Plato, Socrates was the master, Plato was the student, and the works of Plato, the main character in the dialogues of Plato is this man, Socrates. So, so the works of Plato, no matter what you read, it's absolutely applicable to today. It's, it's extraordinary. It's timeless and full of principle 
and um, full of really good foundation and um, foundational directions, if you like. But the, the actual method is if you take an ordinary, an ordinary exchange, an ordinary conversation between people, it's often um and it's like an, it's often like a sort of a table tennis match. It's sort of an exchange of views. You know, I tell you my view and you tell me your view and I add a bit to my view, uh, you add a bit to your view. If we're good friends, we might keep that going a little bit. Um, if we're not so good friends, we might up the ante and up the heat and maybe start competing with each other. Um, whereas Socrates, the Socratic view is essentially the first part is that you really truly fully hear the other side. You you don't allow your own opinions, you don't allow your own judgments to um to impede or block what the other person's saying. And you make every effort to really understand what the other person means, what they think, where they're coming from, etc. So it's the first step, if you like, in being Socratic would be being able to park your own view of something, maybe put aside your own understanding of something. It's um, And instead of making statements and countering points with newer points, etc., it's all based on inquiry. It's all based on asking questions and exploring. So it's it sounds like a dumbed-down statement to say it's fundamentally about inquiry and about asking questions. But it's really only when it's put into practice and worked with you really see the full import of, of this method. But it's um and it's quite a skill because you can't, it's very we think we can park our opinions and our views, but it's quite a skill to be able to actually do that. Um what so what kind of situations does it find? application in in the corporate world and i guess because as you said it is so difficult to park our own opinions it needs some sort of facilitator or mediator at least at the yeah. beginning i guess yeah so that, yeah you've said it there so this i would do a considerable amount of mediation type work it's not the only work i do but i would i am called upon to um conduct mediation in all sorts of different situations private enterprise government organizations um institutions like education institutions and it's particularly helpful there because i mean the facilitator or the mediator does have a natural detachment so he he or she can hear both sides but the socratic method just gives you an extra um an extra um bow if you like or an extra arrow in your uh, armory if you like um so in mediation, it's a very good tool. But in, in all situations, if you if you think of a manager trying to develop his people in some way, you know, members of his department or his team, um, the Socratic method, being inquiry-based and being question-led, is a very useful tool for discussing the development needs of an individual. Where exactly are the shortcomings in the individual's performance what exactly is required to improve that situation? Does he even realize he has a problem with performance or a development need in some area? So the Socratic method is a very gentle exploratory method that allows for a really good, full examination of an individual and what they need to develop in, in any company setting. 
And are there are there other classical philosophers that maybe we should be paying attention to, you know, in the modern world and whose wisdom may find application for some of the challenges that we're facing in the world today? There are. You've got, you've got um, well, firstly, if you like, my favourites are, Plato's my favourite. So Plato and Socrates are my pals, and uh, I spend most of my time with them. However, there are other greats. And out of America, you've got someone like Emerson, Ralph Walter Emerson, who has written magnificent works. Uh, if you take, um, there's a very simple, a very beautiful essay on self-reliance. And it is, a, it is a masterpiece, not just in its content, but in, in the English on its own. The English is extraordinary. But so uh, Emerson will be worth looking at. Um, let me see. Other philosophers in the Western world, um, Plato Socrates is certainly at the very top. Ficino is a Renaissance philosopher from Italy, whose, whose works really are, they've ended up as maybe um, a thousand letters. So if you go back five or 600 years, the time of the Renaissance, there was no email, there was no internet. So all correspondence was via letter. And what you have is you've got these collection of letters. Pacino wrote to the politicians, he wrote to the clergy, he wrote to everybody. And um, every letter is a masterpiece. I remember sitting down one time and thinking, God, I wish I could write one letter like Pacino. So I tried and I couldn't. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering whether you're going to mention, given everything that's kicking off in the world today, whether the Stoics were the guys we should be looking to, you know, the likes of Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and those fellas. Well, Marcus Aurelius, Marcus Aurelius is, is another great you could look at, but um, he was he was described as the re, the only real philosopher king, and um, I think I forget what he reigned, how long he reigned for, but maybe 20, 25 years in Rome, but that was coming towards the end of things. Um, but he's definitely worth reading. He has there's a very small book you can buy now. It's available in every bookshop, Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. And the opening um, pages are all about him expressing gratitude for what he's learned and from whom he's learned it. And it is just, it's fantastic. It makes you sit up and realize what you've learned and from whom you've learned it. Excellent. But, so in, in your experience, then, and, and you, have, you and I have spoken about this um, separately, why do you think so many people are, are dissatisfied with their jobs? And do you think there's a connection between this dissatisfaction and the difficulty that lots of firms are having at the moment to find talent, to retain talent? And that seems to be becoming an issue all over the developed world. Do you, are those two things related, in your opinion? Um. Absolutely. Um, let me see now the simplest way of coming at this. Fundamentally, if I if I see, um, and it's, it's not all bad, by the way, there are lots and lots of very good organizations where people are really very, very well managed and developed and, and they retain these people. So it mightn't be accurate just to, you know, write the whole world of industry off um, in, in a negative way. However, Having said that, there's a fundamental thing I notice is that people can be seen as just a, a means of production. They're just units of production. And 
if they're performing reasonably well, just on, you know, with little or no supports and little or no management, if they're self-motivating and self-starting, they can be largely left alone. And uh, they're measured by results. So if they're performing quite well and delivering okay results, they can be left alone. And all they can ever get is good morning. That's it. And they're doing well. If they're troublesome, they can be moved around the place, you know, especially in some sectors, they can be moved from A to B to C if they're troublesome, because no one knows what to do with them. So if they're good, they can be ignored. If they're troublesome, they can be moved all around the place. And there's a whole big cohort in between that is a kind of a, what's the word? Um, they're, they're, they're sort of managed in a, in, a, in a way that's not very effective. So the fundamental, and that, that's if, if your management is based on task focus management, you will have that problem. You'll have the good ones who you ignore, the troubled ones who you keep moving, and the cohort in between that you don't know what to do with them half the time. Hmm. If it's all task driven, so if it's person driven, people first management, it is a different world altogether. You attend to the brilliant people, you attend to the troublesome, and you attend to the cohort in between. And you try and find what is it that will allow each of those types, if you like, to excel in the work. And it doesn't take a whole lot. If you, if you actually ask yourself, how would you love to manage in any situation? You would be able to say it. You'd be able to say, I'd like to be communicated with clearly. I'd like my manager to take an interest in me. I'd like to be developed. I'd like to feel I was moving upwards on some ladder with regard to my career. Except you'd be able to, you'd be able to spell it out in five minutes. So it's not it's not strange. It's very simple, but for some reason, as simple as it is, it's ignored or forgotten or misunderstood. Ninety three point nine, Dublin South FM. It's funny, isn't it, that you know what? Sometimes when we're the um, when we're the underling, we can we can voice what we need, and then when we're promoted to being the boss we sometimes lose that empathy with our old selves and we can't have that with our new um, reports. Yeah, that's a that's a big issue, actually, that little conundrum you've just said there. When we're in one position, we see things a certain way, and the moment we're into a new position, our, it's as if we've forgotten. It's like I remember I heard recently someone saying that, you know, until you buy your house, you want the prices of houses to come down, keep coming down and you're excited the minute you sign the deal you want the price of house to shoot up yeah yeah so, how much as well uh you know what it Im, 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 impedes our progress as professionals and people m- might be down to our own um issues you know fear uh our own our own self-limiting beliefs and and fear because i i think you said um, some of the things that you do is you help people to become more fearless and self-directing. Um, how 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 is that done, and what ways do people kind of self-sabotage in that way? Um, well, fear is a big one, I'm afraid. Fear, like fear of speaking up, is a big one. Like, you know, do people speak up at meetings? Do they speak up in in small situations at work? 
Do they speak up depending on the company they're in? Do they dumb down and quieten when they're in the company of you know more senior management? Um, but even the, the even the bravest and toughest suffer from that dilemma, that fear of speaking in particular. And a big price tag, you know, you have a very, it's very costly if people don't speak up and speak honestly. So it has an impact, a negative impact on, say, innovation, uh, a negative impact on sales, a negative impact on, the, you know, the addressing of issues with people, performance issues and troublesome issues. And um, it addresses issues on, you know, finding and making sure people are in the right slot. I, I know of an organization where um, there's a young lady managing a department and she's been there for 14 years. 14 years. And the CEO thinks she's in the wrong job. And he has done for 14 years. <laughs> and yeah. so it's almost tragic, isn't it? It is tragic. It is well, it is in a way, because you know, you've got someone, you're not doing anyone any favors by leaving them in the wrong slot for that length of time, but at any end of time. But fear is at the heart of why a lot of those things aren't addressed. Fear of upsetting the cart, you know, fear of being seen in the bad light, all that sort of thing. Fear they'll meet some conflict or difficulty. And um, so fear is definitely a, a big issue. And uh, it's probably don't know if this is true, but you could, I think you could link an awful lot of the limiting notions and the limiting aspects on, on ourselves that we place on ourselves. I think a lot of them have a connection with fear. Mm. Mm. So, um, yeah. What, what kind of uh, people, what kind of companies become your clients and, and how are they better off after having worked with you? Well, the kind, firstly, there's no, there's no, um, particular kind. So there's government departments, there's private enterprise, there's a small amount of international work. Um, I do a little work in the UK, I do a little work in China, and I have an associate who works with me in Australia. And we have some activity in Australia as well. So see the common denominator is people it's not it's not the type of company so it doesn't matter whether you're making widgets or you work in a government department or it doesn't make any difference it's it, because the fundamentals of the work are all about the people not about processes and procedures etc so it doesn't matter and um, once you're managing people and leading people you can be a client and benefit greatly and what kind of uh, developmental services or consultancy interventions are you able to provide? I imagine there's a range of different types of services and interventions. Yeah, there's a, a range depending on what people want, um, and they all come under different headings. So you like you've got mediation as a particular, very particular, specialised area. But most of the work is developmental. It's working with management, senior management in, in a company, seeking to develop them individually and collectively and then try and in most situations you're also working on the culture of the organization at the same time so if, if you um let's say if you go back to the fear issue if you're trying to remove fear from a company you you, you know the company isn't bricks and mortar the company is actually the people so you're trying to remove fear from each of the people you're trying to remove fear from the collective teams within teams and across teams 
And then you're trying to instill that in the culture of the place so that it's, you know, we have a space where we can all speak up and speak honestly. And that that will be, so you're, you're working at individual level, collective levels, and overall you're trying to influence the culture. And it's, it's hard to measure this work. It's like, it's very hard. It's not, it's not measurable in the ordinary way that, you know, two and two is four. But um, you see over time fantastic changes in the company. You see it in the retention of good people. You see it in um, young people coming in at a modest enough level, rising quickly and dramatically through a company. You see it in good relationships, really open relationships. You see it in a level of honesty at meetings, a level a level of honesty with people and their one to ones. Um, so while it's not tick the box measurable, you definitely do feel it and see it in companies. I see it anywhere. I see it all around and, me. And how has uh, COVID changed your business and the way you work, the way you interact then with your clients? Oh, Jeannie, Matt, COVID's been the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> we get on this should have regular dashes of COVID. <laughs> and why is that? How, how, why do you say that? Because it's just made things more efficient, more effective. So um, if you take it, I, I'll give you one example. I did a, a, a mediation case in the West of Ireland, all on, all on Zoom. I never met the people. I still have never met them. That's very unusual. Because to mediate, you do have to see the whites of people's eyes. You have to meet them in the room and see what's actually happening, etc., and pick up all the nuances, etc. So that 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 I was able to conduct that on Zoom. It was very effective because I was able to have very short meetings, and you know, encourage them to go in, and think about things, and come back to me an hour later, and bring the meeting on further. You wouldn't do that quite as fluidly in a physical setting. So it was more effective. It allowed for more creativity. It saved me about 20 trips to go away. So you can work it all out cost-wise. The costs were greatly reduced and the client was very happy. Yeah, and this means, I guess, as well, that you can work internationally. I know you mentioned Australia and China, but there's no real impediment to working worldwide, no, right? No, there's no. Now, it's good if you meet people face-to-face -face some of the time. So uh, where I've met people a lot face to face, um, the, the transition to online and Zoom, et cetera, has been seamless. In, in new company situations today, I do make a point of meeting the company, meeting people and meeting them first before I would engage in anything really. But Zoom has been extremely, um, like us all, I think we've all been knocked into becoming more efficient, more creative, et cetera, with the online aspects to our work. That's true. It's true. So talking about COVID, so we're in the, in the wake of COVID as, as we are now. We have a land war in Europe. We have climate yeah. change to deal with. We have aging populations, political polarization, and so on. So when you look out into the wider world, what's your own take on you know where things are at? What are the key threats? and opportunities for business as we look forward to 2023 and beyond. In my own business, I, I find a little bit like an accountant. 
you know, the way the accountant seems to be needed when things are very successful. He has to produce the accounts. He needs to be there when the things are failing because he has to grow up the situation and, and sort out the difficulties. I feel similar in a similar position. So uh, since the beginning of my um, company, I know it's a small organization, I've never known a quiet period. I've never felt any effect of recession because people always need assistance and support and help and direction of some kind. Where there are people, there are always issues, positive and negative. So I haven't experienced the I haven't experienced that same, those same dips that other industries might experience. And in fact, some people go out of business because there's changes. Well, I, I hope I never do that. So that's that's true. That's interesting. So leaving leaving work to one side for the minute, when you're not when you're not working or thinking about work, what kind of things do you like to do in your spare time? The spare time, well, there's probably a few key areas. Well, over the history of time, all the time I used to play a lot of tennis. When I was single, I used to play a lot of tennis for some reason. I don't know why being married changed that slightly. And I used to fly an airplane for fun. Then I, I got very involved in DIY, so I've, I've had a few projects of one kind or another over the years in DIY. And probably the exercise these days will be on the bicycle. I, I Bicycle probably gets, um, yeah, I would get out maybe two or three times a week. Excellent. And are you reading anything at the moment or listening to anything, you know, like audio books? Just recently, and I'd recommend highly to every single person in the country, and it's called The Road to Character. Road to Character. David Brooks. David Brooks. It is an outstanding book. The Road to Character. And it's so beautiful because he set about it. It's a New York Times number one bestseller. And um, he set out to find out very innocently and honestly, how do you build character? How do you strengthen your character? And he didn't know where to start. So what he did was he he decided he'd look at the lives of people he felt had extraordinary character and he used their lives to try and give him some pointers. So it's a beautiful book. Excellent. Historically and in like educationally, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Good, 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 re- good recommendation. So as we as we come to the end, where can people find out more about you, more about your work? And how can they contact you if they wish to? Well, um, my email is a very simple one. It's my name. So it's brian at mcgill.ie. And um, the website is mcgill.ie. My telephone number, I'll give you my telephone number as well. Go go ahead. Go for it. I'll give you the mobile 087-257-5874. Excellent. So thank you very much for Brian. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today, uh, as always. And uh, thank you very much. That's great. Thanks. Very good. Very enjoyable. Thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, Wish you the very best for the future, both professionally and personally. And thanks thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, And until next time, keep well and stay safe.